because we are in His presence, this message is not what He would say if He were here, but what He is saying because He is here. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to begin reading at verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. I'll read through verse 22. First um, phrase in, in chapter 18 is really establishes the point that this whole passage makes. It says, But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. It's not... It does not vacillate. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in Him. For as many as may be the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Wherefore also by Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Several years ago, I was playing golf with a friend out in West Texas, and he um, shanked his uh, tee shot off out into the rough. Now, in West Texas, there are not that many trees. We don't have any problems with woodpeckers out there, but uh, there was a lot of um, shrubs and high grass, and we went out there to look for his golf ball and finally found it. And it was just, um, just in, a, in, the, in the middle of this big uh, pile or of, we, of uh, grass and shrubs were all around. He couldn't even see the green, really. So he... He uh, surveyed the situation and reached for his club and said, Boy, that's a character builder. What he meant was that how he responded to that situation would would make him not only a better golfer, but probably a better person. Your character is who you are. It's defined as as the distinctive quality of your life. Someone said... Your reputation is what people think you are. Your character is what you and God know you are. Now, how is character established and where does it come from? I want to give you a principle this morning. I believe it's true today and will always be true, a law, and it's this. That you become like the God you worship and serve. You become... Your distinctive quality is like the God you worship and serve. So that if I investigated and and determined your character, I could name your God. Now you might say, my God is the God of the Scriptures, but is the distinctive quality of your life the mind and the life and the teaching of Jesus? If not, the God of the Scriptures is not your God. It, It is true that the character of your God determines your character. And that's what this text deals about. 
Now, the book of first of Second Corinthians is probably the most personal of all Pauline's Pauline letters, of all Paul's writings. And this is the context of this letter. He he had just been a few months in Corinth establishing the church there, and he got it going, and he left, and he said, I'm coming back to, to, to finish what I began here in Corinth. I'm coming back to complete my work here. But he never really made it back. He had some problems and never got back to Corinth. And so some of the people in that divisive and, and, and a church began to say of the Apostle Paul, he's not dependable, you can't count on him, he vacillates, He's fickle. He, 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 he's not, you can't count on his word. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter and defended his authorship. And he was saying right in the first chapter, the God we worship and serve is faithful and his word is not yes and no. And he's saying, I have devoted my life to a God like that. Now, how is it possible for, Matt, for me to be any other way? In other words, you can believe that I am not fickle, I am dependable, you can count on my word because I'm like the God that I worship. You become like the God you worship. And so verses 21 and 22 just confirm that statement and reveal how God builds character into the believer. The process really of how God develops the distinctive quality of the believer and he says, he does it in four ways, really four steps, and just outlines itself. He establishes us, he anoints us, he seals us, and he gifts us with the pledge or the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the first statement, he, he establishes us, is a present participle, and the main idea of that tense is that it is something that is continually done. It's unfinished, it's uncompleted. It's what God continually does. But the last three points in the outline carry a tense that suggests something that has been completed. The last three say what God has done, and the first one says what God is doing to build character in us. And so I want to save the first for last and take the last three first because I believe that what God has done builds on what God continues to do to build Himself in us. First of all, He anoints us. It is without doubt a reference to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now there is a, there is a play on words in verse 21 that I need to call your attention to. In verse 21, the word anointing and the word Christ are the very same word. And that could read like this. He is, uh, he is establishing us in Christ, and He Christs us. Now watch this. Just as Jesus received the Spirit of God without measure to be, to, to do, enabling Him to do what God wanted Him to do in the world, we have received that same enabling. Now when Jesus came and announced that He was going to do God's will and was baptized, the Holy Spirit of God came upon Jesus and the emblem of the Holy Spirit rested upon Him to point out to everybody around that the Spirit of God had come upon Jesus. And He stood and the first time He preached, He opened up a scroll and He read from Isaiah and He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel and to recover sight to the blind and release the captives. 
The Spirit of God has anointed me. And in the same way, we brothers and sisters in Christ have received that same anointing. We have received that same enabling that God gave Jesus in order for him to become all that he wanted him to become. And in the Old Testament, that anointing was applied or um, was uh, effective in three offices, the prophet and the priest and the king. And the New Testament says, in essence, that the believer... All three of these dignities are summed up in the believer. He is prophet. Now, a prophet was one who received a divine impartation of truth from God and a supernatural ability to proclaim it. And we've been studying on Sunday night in 1 Corinthians that the believer has this divine impartation of truth from God that the unbeliever does not have. It's a fact that the believer knows some things that the unbeliever can never know. For God has imparted spiritual depth perception to him. He has imparted truth to him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell him, this um, divine person within, this divine informant searches the mind of God and communicates the will of God to the believer so that he illumines the believer in the human spirit by the Holy Spirit. He is priest. A priest is one who had direct access to God and offered spiritual and offered sacrifices to God. And the New Testament describes the believer not only as a person, person of worship, but as a place of worship. This body is the royal residence where the Holy Spirit lives. And his service is to offer spiritual sacrifices and the sacrifice of praise from his lips, direct access to God. And as king he is one over whom sin never has dominion and is destined to reign with him in the life to come. And the apostle Paul says in Romans 5 that we reign in this life as kings. The divine enablement, the anointing, God makes us prophet. He gives us, he imparts to us truth with a supernatural ability to proclaim it. Enables us to have direct access to God the Father and offer up spiritual sacrifices and reign in this life over sin. He anoints us. Secondly, he seals us. At the uh, turn of this century, an English missionary died in India and, and his... Um, Former his former neighbors began to loot his house and, and somebody re uh, reported that to the English consul and they went out to, 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 to protect his property. This English missionary of India found he had no locks on his doors. And so they took a piece of paper and they put on it the seal of England and, pasted and, and, and stamped that paper on the door where a lock would be. And nobody would dare break into that house or break that seal because the, the strongest nation in the world at that time stood behind it. Now watch this. When you and I become a believer, a Christian, God seals us, the scripture says, with the Holy Spirit. And all of the might of God stands behind that seal. 
Now, if I had no other reason to believe in the security of the believer than in this doctrine right here, it would be enough. He seals us. Now, the purpose of the sealing is threefold in the New Testament. First of all, it, it authenticated something. It indicated that this is the real thing. This is the, this is the, uh, the genuine article. So that when a person took his ring, his signet ring, and he put a stamp on something, he was saying, that's the genuine article. That's the real thing. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Scripture says, He who has not the Spirit of God is none of His. Those to whom the Holy Spirit has come and within whom the Holy Spirit indwells, God is saying, He's the real thing. This is the genuine article. The second thing that the sealing does was to indicate ownership. It said, this belongs to Him. I have been bought and paid for and purchased by the blood of Jesus. I belong to Him. It's like a brand on a cow out in West Texas. And before the days of fencing, these men, these cattlemen would have their cows and each one would have a distinctive brand. And, and, and the owner of those cattle would, would put their brand on them, indicating ownership. If somebody saw that cow, he'd say, well, that belongs to so-and-so. It indicated ownership. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, it indicates we belong to Him. I ask you this morning, serious question, are you wearing your label? Indicates ownership suggest protection and security. Now over in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 the Apostle Paul says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of Jesus. And there's a perfect example of the sealing for protection and security. When Jesus was crucified and they put Him in the tomb it says that Pilate sealed it. What he did is he took a string and on one side of the tomb where the, where the rock was placed he put that string and secured it with wax or some material and he stretched that string around the rock in front of the tomb and secured the other end with wax or some material. And that string was there to say, keep your hands off, this is protected. The property and the contents inside must not be touched. It's like when you put that Christmas package under the tree. You put the little notice on the outside of it, do not open until Christmas. What you're saying is nobody is to put their hands on the contents of this prize, this, this, this package, until the day it's to be opened at Christmas time. Now when God sends His Holy Spirit to indwell us, He says with the seal, the contents of this redemptive work, the work of this salvation must not be touched or tampered with by no one until the day Jesus returns when the finished work is, when the work is completed and finished, when salvation's through. He seals us. The third thing he does in the process of making us who we are is that he gifts us, that is, he gives the Holy Spirit as a pledge it's called earnest in the King James in, in the, in the uh, book of uh, Ephesians. It's the down payment, the first payment of the installment and the guarantee that the completed payment will be made. It's the, it's the, it's the pledge payment. And when the pledge is made, it's saying that the finished product will be, is guaranteed. Now there, need to be, there needs to be two things said about that. 
First of all, when one made a pledge and he gave earnest money, pledged payment for it, he was saying that if, if the promise was not fulfilled just as the promise was made, then the pledge money would be forfeited. So that that was really a guarantee that the total payment would be made. If the promise was not fulfilled or kept, then the pledge payment was lost. Now watch this. When God saves us, He said, I'm going to save you now from the, from the penalty of sin. I'm going to save you from the power of sin. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as the installment that I'm going to save you from the body of sin, from the presence of sin. I'm going to complete this work of salvation when I return to the earth again. And the Holy Spirit that He gives us is the installment guaranteeing the fulfillment of that. Now, if the promise is not kept, then God forfeits the Holy Spirit. He forfeits Himself. It's impossible for that to ever happen. The second thing about this pledge payment is that it's kind of a foretaste of what the total payment will be like. In other words, he is telling us when he gives us the Holy Spirit, this is a foretaste of what the full payment is and like. For example, let me see if I can illustrate it. Let's just suppose you buy, you purchase a new piano, an automobile, and you've paid $10,000 for it. And you're going to make a down payment of $1,000 and you're going to make 10 uh, installments, of, uh, nine more installments of, a, of uh, not counting interest uh, to complete that uh, payment. So you bring in that $1,000 and at 90 days you're to pay the full amount or whatever. And so you come in with um, uh, a load of cattle, a truckload of cattle, and you park them out in front of the bank and you go in and you say, well, now here's the final payment for that automobile that I bought. And the banker says, well, that wasn't our agreement. You, you, you made a down payment of $1,000, which is to say that the rest of the payment will be in dollars. And you say, well, those cattle are worth that much. I've had them appraised and, and they're worth that. That's not the point. The point is that when you make the down payment, that is a foretaste of what the full payment is like. As a matter of fact, when a man in the ancient day bought a piece of land, they'd give him a shovel full of dirt from that land. Or if he bought a house, they'd give him one tile off that house to suggest that's just a part of what all of it's going to be like. Now watch this. When he gave you the Holy Spirit in salvation, he was saying that your, the full payment is spiritual life, is spiritual life. Now I want you to imagine this morning the time when you were the closest to the Lord and the Holy Spirit controlled you and you were just caught up in spiritual blessings and heavenly places and God was blessing your life and the Holy Spirit was in control to bring heaven to you. If you can imagine that, that's just a foretaste of what the full payment is like. It's just the down payment of what, every, what the whole thing is going to be. And so He, he gives us with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, in building character in us, he is establishing us. The word means to, to 
to make firm. It, it carries the idea of consistency. Now, there's nothing this morning that, that we as Christian people need more than consistency in our Christian life. I suppose that I hear more lament from Christian people about this roller coaster that we're on. Hot one day, cold the next. Committed one day, uncommitted the next. Serving God, loving God one day, uh, apathetic and indifferent to Him the next. Just this roller coaster. But what he's saying is that God is about establishing you, bringing consistency in your life, and so that it might explain the mystery of your existence in that everything that God brings into your life or permits to happen in your life is in order that He might ground you, make you consistent, make you firm. He is establishing you. Hosea said of of God's people, their goodness is as the morning cloud and the early dew. It goeth away quite early. Now what's wrong with the morning cloud and the early dew? Nothing. It's beautiful and it has its purpose, but it doesn't last. It quenches no thirst. It produces no harvest. It dissipates. It's gone. He said, your goodness is as the morning cloud and the early dew. There's no permanency there. There's no fruitfulness there. It produces no harvest. It quenches no thirst. Does that sound like anybody you know? So God is saying, I want to establish you. If you allow me, I'm going to bring some consistency into your life. And so the things that you chafe under and resist and, and is pain and are painful, these things God is using to, to, to mature you, to establish you. Now there are two things about that kind of work. The first is that it's perpetual. It never, it never ends. I got news for you. God isn't finished with you yet. Now, I, I think it would be so great, you know, if, if we could just come down the aisle of a church and all of a sudden it'd just be over and everything would just, we'd be just like God wanted us to be from then on. But it just doesn't happen that way. God is perpetually working to establish you. Now, I'm a whole lot better, my character's a lot better than it was when I first found the Lord. But there's still so much weakness in my life and I find myself bending to winds that come in life. And, 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 and I'm not what I ought to be, but God is perpetually at work in us. His work is perpetual. His work is progressive. He says He is establishing us in Christ Jesus. The little Greek word is, the, is a three-letter word, ice. It means motion toward an object. Every time you see the word in in the New Testament, you can pretty well imagine, you can just say, you can uh, paraphrase it yourself. It means motion toward an object so that God is intensifying our depth into Christ. Now, when you become a believer... You are in Christ, but you are not in depth into Christ. There's no depth there. There's no rootage there. And so in the work of God establishing you, He is intensifying your depth into Him. 
Somebody asked me this morning, if someone asked me, have you ever been to Miami, I would say yes. I've been to Miami, but I've, I've really never been to Miami. I've been to the airport. I've been to the airport in Miami several times, but I've never been past the airport. I've never been down Maine. I've never been to the Orange Bowl. I've never been to the beaches with the high-rise apartments. I've just been to the airport. I've just, I can say I've been to Miami, but I haven't really. Somebody asked me this morning, have you ever been to Canada? I could say yes. I have been into Canada. I've been to the cosmopolitan cities of Quebec and Toronto. I got a car one time and drove the windy plains of Saskatchewan. I've been as far as you can travel north in that province. I've been into the mountains of Alberta, into Calgary and Edmonton, the most beautiful places in the world. I've been to the west coast of Canada where some of our young people have been, to Vancouver, the most beautiful city you'll ever see anywhere. In fact, it's listed in one of the five top most beautiful cities in the world. You ask me, have I ever been to Canada? I have really been to Canada. I ask you this morning, are you in Christ? You'd probably say yes. The majority of people this morning are Christians who are listening to me. You'll say, yes, I'm in Christ. But you're really not into Him. There's no motion toward the object of Him. You've never seen the snow caps and the plains and the cities of Him. You've just been to the airport. You've just taken the first step. And what God wants and what His desire for you is that He build Christ's likeness into you so that you become just like Him. He is moving you toward Him. And sometimes we resist that. And we dig our heels in. And we resent those things that happen in our life that God just wants to use to put us into Christ and to put Him into us. Now, what God is doing in the process of building character, these deep truths of God are to affect the trifles of life. They are to affect everything. They are to affect the way you clean house and raise your kids. They are to affect the way you handle your business and go to school. They are to affect everything about you. For listen, let me, let, me, let me show it to you one more time. When the Holy Spirit is given you, God is enabling you. He's Christing you. He is causing something to happen to you in that anointing that happened to Jesus, enabling Him to be and do everything God wanted Him to. It's just not true that you cannot. You can do all things. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He seals you. He marks you off as His and, and all that that involves. And He gives you the Holy Spirit as a pledge of the final work. You don't have to worry about the end result. And so day by day, He is putting you into Christ and Christ into you. And that ought to change everything you do, everything about your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're doing something in us and for us that will enable us to become all you desire for us to become. I pray this morning 
for folks to, be, to allow you to begin to do your thing in them. To come trusting Jesus for salvation. To come yielding all of themselves to you and to what you're about and what you desire to do. And let it happen here this morning that we see the miracle of your grace at work because I, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, there are three invitations that we offer this morning. The first invitation is for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God sends His Holy Spirit to, in, to live in your life. Come trusting Him. Maybe at Bible school this week or in the privacy of your own home, you, you have prayed to receive Christ. You'd like to come this morning publicly declaring your faith in Him. The second invitation is for Christian people who, who are resisting God and rebelling against God in their own life, living away, living at a distance. Come for rededication of your life. Confess that sin that besets you. Then there are those who need to come this morning to place their life in the fellowship of this church. So we're going to stand and sing. We invite you to come. Right on the first stanza, we invite you to come. <laughs>